0: Hey, good morning, FCF. This is the last message in our series called What's Going On? In this past year or so, it's probably brought a lot of us asking that question. And what I've tried to show in this series is that God wants us to understand what's going on so that we will be able to better stand what's going on. We are living in a time in human history that's a tipping point where where a number of unprecedented factors are coming together, and God has predicted these things in His Word so that the people that would inherit these sets of circumstances, you and I being that set of people, that we would understand so that we can stand what's going on. One of the things I've said is that we are living in a time in human history where we've had a, a population explosion. The whole global population, which is almost 8 billion now, it never even reached 1 billion until 1850. So once again, if we had a graph, everything would be going level, and then all of a sudden it starts to jump. Likewise, when it comes to knowledge, uh, we are the the 3% of the people that have ever lived in human history, the 108 billion that have ever lived, only us, our 3% had electricity. We're the only ones that have cars and planes and trains and, and all sorts of communication devices. We've had this knowledge explosion, this technology explosion, along with the population explosion, but the most powerful thing that has occurred in our day and age, and it is the thing that we have the hardest time being aware of because we're like the fish in the water. Does a fish know that it's in water? I don't think so, because it's where it was born. It's its it's atmosphere to live in. You and I were born at this unprecedented time in human history where there is this mass communication device. We call it the media. It has many tentacles. And we are being communicated to constantly we cannot get away from it it's pervasive we are the first of the 108 billion people that have ever lived again if you had that graph it goes level and then it jumps off the chart with our generation we don't understand how significant it is because we have been living in it since we were born we are being discipled we are being brainwashed we are being propagandized we are being persuaded around the clock in a point of view that leaves God out, leaves His truth out, and that seeks to direct us in a way that enticing though it is, sophisticated though it is, it is ultimately destructive for us. And this is why God wants us to understand society when it reaches this tipping point, it's going to tip and it's not going to ever come back again to a leveling place until the very return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's been the background. And I want to say once again, we are living in that time. Let me start out. We, we've been reading in 2 Timothy every week. It was Paul's last writing. He's writing to Timothy, his partner in ministry for over 22 years. Paul knows he's going to be beheaded by Nero shortly. He knows the end of his mission has come. Paul has been serving Jesus himself for about 32 years. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says, But know this... In the last days, there will be terrible times. Last days. Each week, I've given you some teaching on this. The Scripture uses last days in two ways. I want you to have this. I repeated it because I want it to sink in. Last days, like in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, in these last days, God has spoken to us through His Son. Sometimes the Scripture talks about the last days as the time when the complete progressive revelation of God was now completed in Christ and then the rest of the New Testament. So the last days technically in that regard were finished when the book of Revelation was finished in AD 96 by the Apostle John. So that's one way the last days. But then in Old Testament and New Testament, redundant passages of Scripture, the last days always points to a period of time, approximately a seven-year period of time, just before the return, the intervention of Christ in human history. That's the seven-year period of time, the perilous days that Paul is talking about. Let me read it to you again. But know this, that in the last days, there will be terrible times. Now, each week I've said this. I don't want the Word getting out. That crazy pastor up there at uh, FCF is saying that you know Jesus is coming tomorrow or something like that. That's not it. That's not it. I don't know if we are in the last seven years of human history before Christ returns. If we are, that's, that's wonderful. How exciting. What a privilege. What an honor. But I'm not saying that. But I'm not not saying that either. I don't believe that we are in that last seven years. I do believe with all my heart we are approaching it and we are close to it. We are in the perilous times, a tipping point in human society has occurred. It will not tip back in a positive direction. Jesus returns. Let me read on. But know this in the last days there will be terrible times. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemous, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, not able to reconcile with others, slanderous, and today's uh, prime word, without self control, without self-control it goes on to give a a couple more expressions of what without self-control adds to it or looks like without self-control savage haters of what is good treacherous reckless without self-control reckless puffed up with conceit lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god holding to an outward form of godliness or spirituality but denying its power Turn away from such people. Our keywords today without self control. What happens? What happens to us as individuals? What happens to a society when it loses self control? I'm going to take you back. I'm going to take you way back in a, a situation that happened in my life literally a little over 40 years ago, probably 41, 42 years ago. I don't know. Back in those days, uh, I was seeking opportunities anywhere that a door would be open for me where I could share the truth about God and the truth about life, where I could teach, preach, whatever. And I was going to the Northern, Juvenile, uh, Northern Virginia Juvenile Detention Center twice a month doing some preaching there. And through uh, meeting somebody there, a door opened for me in Dominion Psychiatric Ward, which was also in Northern Virginia. Now... Like I said, this is about 40, 41 years ago. So some of you right away, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, how could a five-year-old child be allowed into a psychiatric ward to preach and teach to other, to other people? Well, I was just a little bit older than five years old, 41, 42 years ago. But anyway, I was at Dominion Psychiatric Ward, and I would go up there, you know, I guess it was once a week, and I would hold services for the people that were able to, the people that wanted to. So i was used to the routine and so i went up there i believe it was a sunday actually a sunday afternoon and all of a sudden it was not the normal scene that i was used to when i got in there i saw the staff it was about five to seven of them mostly young college-age looking uh, kids and they are obviously engaged in a fierce argument with this other young man one of the patients and he was a big kid man he was probably 18 20 years old big kid And this thing is getting serious. I had no idea what it was about. Next thing I know, they're moving toward him and he's backing up and he wants to get against the wall so that they can't get behind him. While I was fresh off the streets, I knew what was about to happen and I didn't like it. That was not what I was there for. Well, the next thing I know, this did surprise me because there were women staffers there as well as young men. They knew what they were doing, man. They they tackled this kid, this big kid all at once, but he also knew what he was doing. He started kicking them, he started punching them. When they finally got him to the floor, he started biting him, almost bit one on his finger, completely off. Well, they're they're fighting this big kid ferociously now. They get him down, <laughs> and out comes two more staffers with this thing that looked like a stretcher, but it had a big zipper on it. So they get him on this stretcher and they're going to zip him up the back. It's, you know, it's kind of like one of these things that stop his arms from flailing around, but they can't get his head controlled. He's biting like a stinking alligator. So they literally call me. They call me. They say, hey, 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 will you come over and hold his head? And I've already seen him almost bite one girl's finger off. I said, there's no way. No way. I'm, I'm here. Man of peace. I'm not going to get involved in this. Now. It's funny to look back on. It was not funny when it was taking place. And that was actually the last time I went there. But here's the thing that I wanted to bring out. Here was a young man that from the exterior, the exterior viewpoint of anyone looking on would have said, this young man is out of control. He's screaming, he's punching, he's kicking, he's biting. He's trying to do as much damage to these people as he can. Meanwhile, they're just trying to grapple with him to get him into this this zipperized stretcher. So he was a picture of being out of control. But I want to make a point here that's a very, very important point, and here's what it is. Me being fresh off the streets in those days, I watched this young guy and I knew what he was doing. He chose to be out of control. He knew there were no consequences to his behavior. He knew that he could punch them, he could kick them, he could bite them, and he knew, he knew they were not going to do anything back to him. So he chose to be out of control or to reject self-control. Had they been punching and kicking and biting back, it would've been a very different situation and he would've calmed himself down a lot a lot sooner, in my opinion, okay. But it was a picture This is what happens when you lose self-control, when we lose self-control, when a society loses self-control. Because this young man would not exercise self-control, they put him in a restraint mechanism. It looked like a stretcher with a zipper on the back so that his arms were pinned down and he could not do anything. When we do not exercise self-control, society, listen carefully, society will more and more and more bring us, force us under control. Self-control is just an absolute necessity for any society to function. Let me give you one example. All of you arrived safely today, you you that actually came to the live service. And by the way, I'll be there next Sunday myself. This is my last Sunday of of preaching in my, my family room. But to get to service this morning, each of you came down the highway or up the highway, whichever way you came. And there were these little white lines on the road. And each of you exercised self-control and you stayed within your white lines. Society and safety is dependent upon each driver. This is amazing when you think about it. You know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of drivers on on a busy highway, and they each exercise self-control to stay within those white lanes. White lines. If they did not, there would be chaos, there would be, there would be death on the highway every single day. So self-control is something that's necessary. All right, I want to I just look at this real simply today. We want to look at self-control loss because what I am telling you is this. We are living at an unprecedented time in human history where the human race in unprecedented numbers, the masses of people, the majority of people, and it's going to get worse, are going to be those that choose no self-control. Now, there's a the dark side to this. When we choose, like that young man in Dominion psychiatric ward, when we choose to reject self-control, we then lose self-control. In other words, there's a voluntary loss of self-control. We choose it, but it always ends in an involuntary sense of, or sense of loss of self-control. Let me give you an example. We're young people, we're experimenting with things. We go to a party, there, there's some you know, uh, illegal substances being offered at the party. We feel the tension inside, but we choose not to be self-controlled, so we partake of the illegal substance. Now, if we partake of it, partake of it enough, we no longer have self-control. This is what we call addiction. By the way, uh, while we're at this, to show you that we are living in an unprecedented time in human history, Last year, it was just under a half a trillion dollars, a half a trillion, that's like 500 billion, was made illegally in drug deals, drug money. Okay, we are the most addicted society. If you look through all human history, that graph would be level. And then you come to our day and age, and off the charts it goes. We are the only generation that is addicted to to an enormous level. And it's only going to increase. The book of Revelation even talks about a society is crumbling and coming undone. Still, drug use is going to be uh, quite prevalent. So, okay. So... We're going to look at self-control loss, and there's two portions. There's two parts to this uh, self-control loss. The first, the first is, is, is spiritually deep. It is philosophical deception. We are a philosophically deceived generation. Why, once again? Because of the mass media communication tool. We are being discipled around the clock. But the one that's doing the discipling, let me introduce that person to you. Listen to this verse from Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that age-old serpent who is called the devil and Satan, listen to this, who continually deceives and seduces the entire inhabited world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, I just want you to focus on the part where it says, He continually deceives and seduces the entire world. By the way, this portion of Scripture, Revelation 12, 9, it has not been fulfilled yet. Satan and his angels have not yet been sent down or forced down to earth. That happens in the last three and a half years before Christ returns. If you're curious about these kind of things, I've done enormous amounts of teaching about it. Go to the the FCF Bible Institutes. Particularly look at one that I recently did called the Great Deception. But at any rate... He continually deceives and seduces the entire world. Listen, he had a hard time before mass media development to deceive and seduce. It was hard. It was mouth-to-mouth, conversation-to-conversation. It was slow. It was ponderous. But now, now Satan has these tools where he can get at your mind and my mind and your ears and my ears and my eyes and your eyes continuously. The only time that he cannot is when we're literally unconscious asleep. This is the first time in human history. That's why the tipping point has been reached. He is altering, you got to hear this, the mass communication device that Satan is using to continually seduce and deceive us. It is altering the order inside of our, our souls, our, our inner order. God put us together. You're going to see this graphically with a couple of charts that I'm going to show you later on in the message. But God put us together to function in a certain way. And because the messages that we are getting constantly, we are bombarded with, listen... The media messages, whether you're whether you're looking at your little phone or your computer or your TV screen or whatever it is, you're listening with headphones on all the time on your ears, let me tell you what it's doing. They are bombarding your and my soul. Okay? They are bypassing our spirits and they are aimed at stimulating moving our souls. I'm going to show you later on with souls. Souls is primarily our our mind, our our thinking ability, our feeling ability, our emotions, and our will. But all the modern media that Satan is using to deceive and seduce us, it is targeted at our souls. It bypasses our spirits. Our spirit is primarily our God-enlightened reasoning and our conscience. talk about that in more detail later. So... Whatever gets stimulated gets developed. Whatever gets used gets, gets developed. We, we, we know the old saying, use it or lose it. Well, we are the first society that's ever been on the planet where our souls are being bombarded. Our souls are being constantly stimulated. And what this is doing is it's causing our souls, meaning our feelings, our desires, our thinking, to become stronger and stronger and, and grow larger and larger while our our spirits, our God-enlightened reasoning ability and our consciences are growing weaker and weaker. They are atrophying. Atrophy, at, they are experiencing atrophy, our spirits, while our souls are growing to disproportionate levels. And that's the cause of the loss of self-control. Our God-enlightened reasoning and our conscience together are supposed to Uh, show governance over our souls, our mind, will, and emotions so that we do what is right and control ourselves rather than just live without self-control when live by our desires. So this this thing starts with Satan. And, and look, all you got to do is look back in the Garden of Eden. Look at the way he works. He comes to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in a perfect relationship with God. They trust God completely. They live obedient to Him. He gives them one thing not to do. He says, don't do eat of the one tree. And what does Satan do? He comes and he says, you know what? You're being deprived of freedom. There's there's a better existence for you. You yourselves can be like God. The reason that God doesn't want you to eat of that one tree is because He knows you can be just like Him and you won't need Him anymore. He needs you to need Him. But if you eat of that tree, you won't need Him anymore. There is freedom for you, Satan says. Satan always offers us a false freedom. Listen to this. What Satan offers to us is the, the complete throwing off of restraint. That's his definition, definition of freedom. I do what I want, when I want, how I want. Nobody tells me what to do. That's freedom. Complete abolition of restraint is Satan's definition of freedom. And it's very enticing. It's very seductive. It worked on Adam and Eve. It's been working on the human race ever since. It's a philosophical deception. It's a false definition of freedom. It's freedom from all restraint. You're going to see it in a minute, that's not the true definition of freedom. A little further on the message. Now, this philosophical deception, I've already given you part of it, it does individual destruction. In the book of Ephesians, Paul writing to followers of Christ living in Ephesus in chapter 4, verse 17 through 19, he tells us how this disorients us inside. He says, You should not live like the unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusions. Their minds are full of darkness. Their God-enlightened reasons and consciences are, are all, you know, atrophied. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. we, We live in a society today that treats God as inconsequential. If He exists at all, He doesn't really matter. And this is what throws us into this darkened state of mind. Verse 19 is key. They have lost all feeling of shame. They give themselves over to vice and to do all sorts of indecent things Without restraint, without no self-control, without restraint, reckless, it said we read earlier in that Second Timothy three, treacherous, reckless, haters of what is good, savage, brutal, violent. These things are going to increase in society because the restraint mechanisms that God has built into us are being atrophied why our bodily desires and our soul desires are being built up and becoming more and more in control. But that last part, it says indecent, indecent things without restraint. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament written in Hebrew. A little bit of Aramaic. But the, the Greek word, and I don't mean to do this too often, but the Greek word that's used there, that they're trying to translate with three different words, indecent things without restraint, four words. It's one Greek word. It's called asogeia. It's used 10 times in the New Testament. And I want to give you an exact definition from some Greek scholars of what this word means. So it'll show on the screen. It's an uncontrolled desire. It's a lack of restraint. Obsession with sensual pleasures. A disposition of soul that resents all discipline. A spirit that acknowledges no restraints. A shameless, I don't care what anyone thinks, attitude. All that's in this word, asolgeia and this is a uh, a word that epitomizes this refusal to be controlled no self control it starts out voluntary i won't be controlled by anything i am my own god uh, i will do what i want to do my desires will rule but when we choose uh, to to refu- when we refuse self control on a voluntary basis inevitably we start losing self-control, and that part is involuntary. That passage I just read you—it talks about how they felt no shame anymore. Let me, let me read it to you again. They have lost all feeling of shame. Their conscience, in other words, is no longer a restraining mechanism. They've given themselves over to vice and to do all sorts of indecent things without restraint. There's no more moral restraint faculties. The God enlightened reasoning, the spirit, the spirit is composed of the God-enlightened reasoning faculties and a the conscience. They have become atrophied. They have they do not have strength enough anymore because our souls and our bodies are being stimulated all the time by the mass media so that now we can do things without restraint without shame without guilt without fear and hence like Timothy said, or Paul said to Timothy we become savage we become haters of what is good treacherous and reckless so there is self control lost It consists of philosophical deception and individual destruction. When we lose self-control, it destroys us. It takes us inside and it scrambles the divine order that we were made in. It does irreparable damage so that we literally fumble through life in darkness. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know why we get consequences instead of results. We just keep trying and and it's trial and error and on and on life goes. We're we're, we're like a society of eight billion people, a cars crashing into one another and not understanding what's the cause of any of it. So let's look on the other side. We we looked at self-control loss, but what we want to see is self-control found because as we are in this tipping point generation, the last days, it becomes more important and more critical than ever that God's people develop more self-control, not less. And, And this is not a matter of prayer. It's, 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 it's important to pray, but, but it's like this. I, I could pray and throw a seed in the ground and pray that it's going to grow up to be a 100-foot oak tree tomorrow, but it's not going to grow up to be a 100-foot oak tree tomorrow because God has put some principles in place. So we have to pray, but we also have to do some things. And if we don't do those things, we will not have the interior strength to be able to exercise self-control at a time when Satan is pulling out all the stops for deception and seduction. So, philosophical rectification is what we need. So God comes to the rescue. Satan wants to philosophically deceive us. He gives us this definition of freedom. Freedom is the lack of restraint. But God's definition of freedom is just the opposite. It is freedom to. True freedom is when I have the ability, I have the capacity to do the will of God, when I am free to do God's will, and when I say free, I mean I have the ability to do His will, and I have the ability to live the way God designed me. That's true freedom. Let me give you some images to, to show you the difference between the false freedom and the the true freedom. Uh, false freedom, picture a fish, you, you know, in your very luxurious uh, fish tank that's temperature control and all these kinds of things. Picture your one of your fishes in there and it's, it's going round and round and it's very mobile and it's getting fed regularly and it's got buddies in the fish tank and all these things. But then that fish gets bored. It sees you walking around back and forth in your living room or wherever you're at and it decides, you know, I, I want to be free. I'm sick of this life of restraint. Uh, self-control, being controlled. I want to I wanna get out of this environment and into your environment. So the fish builds up its strength and, and it starts working its way up with some speed and it, it bolts and it breaks through the water. and You can see fish do this all the time down at the river. It breaks through the water and it's in the air and the fish is thinking, freedom, freedom, what an exhilarating feeling this is to break out of that water. I, I didn't know what it was like. And then all of a sudden the fish starts coming down. Gravity takes over and the fish flops on your living room floor and gasps for its last breath on your rug, and the freedom that it thought it was getting turned out to be uh, a prison of death. So its true freedom, listen to me carefully, its true freedom was living according to the way it was designed by God. Fish fish are designed to live in water. You and I are designed to live in union with Christ our Creator. We were beings that were meant to live an inspired, influenced life. God or or Christ God in Christ was meant to constantly inspire us by His personal engagement and influence with us. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Jesus coming into the Garden of Eden, teaching Adam and Eve things every day. They were not just reading a book. They were not just looking at a law on stone tablets. It was the person of Christ that was inspiring them and influencing them. We all know the difference. We meet people occasionally in life and we're just so awed by something about them. We just want to be like them. They never wrote us a code and said, Thou shalt, thou shalt not they are just influencing us because we were inspired by the beauty of some part of their character. That's the way we were designed to live. So true freedom is the freedom to do the will of God and to live the way God designed me. Let me give you a couple more images. Freedom. Freedom is a train speeding down its tracks. As long as it stays on its two tracks As long as it embraces the the self-control of the two tracks, it's free to go far and to go fast. That's true freedom. So freedom is not uh, a freedom of restraint. Far from it. It is is choosing to live by the will of God, to live the way He designed me, because there is nothing better. There is nothing higher. There is nothing greater that any of us can do. Listen to this passage of Scripture from Hebrews that that just screams to us about the importance of self-control in our lives as as human beings and as Christ followers. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, "...let us run the race..." Notice that we're talking, we're talking athletic discipline here. Rigorous training. "...let us run the race that is before us, and never give up. We should remove from our lives anything that would get in the way, and the sin that so easily holds us back. Let us look only to Jesus, the One who began our faith, and who makes it perfect." our our trust in God was brought about as God revealed Himself in Jesus. That's what took us from suspicion of God and fear of God to trust, to faith in God. It all starts with Jesus. But notice what it says here. It's talking about discipline. It's talking about ridding ourselves of the sin that will trip us up and entangle us. It says, get rid of anything that will slow us down. All this. And it says, just look at Jesus. Look at the way that He lived. He lived to do the Father's will. He stayed on course. He stayed on mission. Jesus was the most beautiful, self-controlled life that the planet has ever seen. It was beautiful. Listen, you can't love, I can't love, we can't love, and we can't live like God does. We can't love like God loves, and we can't live like God lives unless we embrace self-control. Because I must be willing to learn how to see others the way that god sees them and put them at least on an equal place with myself and that does not come easy it's a lifelong pursuit for all of us but it requires self-control so philosophical rectification god comes to us and he says real freedom is the freedom to do the will of god and to live the way that god designed us to live and that brings individual restoration whereas the The false freedom brings individual destruction. God's freedom, true freedom, brings individual restoration. Listen to this familiar verse to some of you from the book of Galatians in the New Testament, chapter 5, verse 22, but it says, The Spirit Spirit of God, that is, produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. There's no law against such things as these. But the Spirit produces. What is the Scripture talking about there? The Spirit is the full revelation of God that we now have in Jesus that is now contained in the New Testament. What do we see in Jesus? We saw all these traits in Jesus. Jesus was loving, He was joyous, He was peaceful, He was patient, He was kind, He was good, He was faithful, He was humble, and He was full of self-control. I am meant, you are meant to live inspired, influenced lives. As we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, it causes us to want to be like Him. We don't get inspired by looking at thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. There was nothing wrong with the commandments. it was something wrong with us. Satan had won the day by causing us to be suspicious of the character of God, distrusting God. Our own guilt and our own shame and our own fear kept a barrier between us. But God revealed Himself in Christ primarily with His sacrificial death on the cross and showed that He's the safest, most loving, most merciful person in the universe. And He won back the trust of some of us. He won back our faith. And then we look to Him and we are inspired. We want to be like Him. He is the one that brings self-control in our life, but it's as we admire uh, and have affection for His self-control, that's how authentic character starts to grow. It doesn't grow by thou shalt and thou shalt not. It grows by admiration and affection for something that's so beautiful and wonderful, it captures our own affection. So God brings spiritual or individual restoration. The results of the Spirit of God working in us brings that self-control. Let me read you one more Ephesians 4 because this is critical where it shows how God takes the disorder of our souls and puts it back in order. And I'm going to show you three three drawings here in a minute that are going to make this more clear to you. But let me read you Ephesians 4.22. It says, As His followers, you were taught the truth that is in Jesus. Notice all the truth about God and all the truth about life is in Jesus. It's, you don't need to go any further. As followers, you were taught the truth that is in Jesus. So, get rid of your old self which made you live as you used to The old self was being destroyed by its deceitful desires satan is constantly deceiving and seducing us we had desires that we thought if we could get them fulfilled it would give us everything we want everything we need only to find out it never works out that way the old self that was being destroyed notice that being destroyed by deceitful desires as we pursue them and as we realize them verse 23 your hearts and minds must be made completely new And you must put on the new self, which is created in God's likeness, His likeness, and reveals itself in the true life that is upright and holy." So God brings restoration to the disorder that sin and Satan does to our soul. Now, I want to show you a picture. Uh, This will appear on your screen. This is what it looks like when you put your trust in Christ and become His follower. God restores the inner order in your spirit, your soul, your body that was originally meant. Now these these parts, these components of our spirit, soul, and body, they still need to be, they need to be developed appropriately. That's why it says, put off your old self and put on the new self. There's a progression. It, it's not perfect, it's not instantaneous, but there's a there's a change. And so here's what it looks like. In a Christ follower's inner hierarchy, our inner being, we are to be led by the Spirit of God with our spirit. And spirit is pure thought, pure idea. I see God's ideas and my ideas love them and and they embrace. And now God and I are one. It's immaterial. It's, It's the mingling of thought. It's the mingling of spirit. Spirit... Our spirits consist of our God-enlightened reasoning faculty. God has given us this ability to to reason, but the reason is darkened unless it's enlightened by God and His truth. Our God-enlightened reasoning faculties and our conscience. Our conscience is that moral compass, but the moral compass must be regulated to God's Word or it becomes inaccurate. But in God's order, our spirit is meant to rule over our soul and then our soul over our body. So look down on the chart. You've got spirit, God enlightened reason and conscience that rules over our soul. Our soul consists of our mind, our will, and our emotions, and then our body. Easy enough. Now let me show you a comparison. Let me show you a chart of somebody that has not been reconciled to God, has not returned to Christ in trust, and here's what they look like. You notice that what's on top? Not spirit. Spirit is not ruling in the person that that's, hasn't been reconciled to God, that hasn't put trust in Christ, is not following Christ. No. Soul is ruling. Their mind, their will, their emotions are ruling. And what did I say earlier? Our society with this mass communication device on unprecedented level keeps our souls and our bodies hyper-stimulated while our spirits atrophy because they are being bypassed. Whenever, whenever you're looking at something to do with the media, your spirit is being bypassed. Your God-enlightened reasoning and your conscience being bypassed. It appeals to your mind, your will, your emotions, and your body. Those are being stimulated. They're growing stronger and stronger while our spirits are growing weaker and weaker. Hence, we lose self-control. So in the self-follower, soul is chief, and then the body, and then the spirit is atrophied. The God-enlightened region, reasoning capacities are, are in darkness. They're weak. They, they, they have no influence for the most part. Now I'm going to show you one other drawing. And this is where... Our choice to reject self control ends up in involuntary loss of self control. We call it addiction today. This is the addiction inner hierarchy. Notice the difference. In the the Christ flower, spirit is its spirit, soul, and body. In the self flower, it's soul, body, and spirit at the bottom. But in the addicted, the body is now on top the body is calling the shots the soul the mind the 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 emotions the will are the servant of the body the addiction gets physical and the spirit of course is at the very bottom of all so When we come to Christ, He literally puts this disorder back into order, and that's what gives us the actual power to have self-control. Until my God-enlightened reasoning faculties and my conscience are strengthened by the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the truth of God, I will not be able to exercise self-control. That's why it tells us, put off our old self, put on our new, because even though we love God want to do His will, we, we are surprised to find out how much damage we've done to our inner world. And those things need to be repaired and that restoration, rehabilitation does take some time sometimes. All right, let me close this message out. What happens when we lose self-control by uh, giving you an an illustration of something that we're all familiar with these days. And again, it just shows how bizarre. We we are actually comfortable with people (laughs) being out in space, floating around, living a year at a time on a space station, uh, occasionally going outside of the capsule and repairing things as they float around in space. We are comfortable with this. Folks, do you realize what, what a bizarre generation we are? Once again, of the 108 billion people that have ever lived and died on planet Earth, we're in that 3% uh, all through human history. Man, you, you traveled by your ox and your, your horse and your, your camel or whatever. There was nothing like this. Anyway, we are familiar with the image of spacewalks. Now, the thing about a spacewalk is this, and it should show, there should be an image on your screen. Notice the tether, the tether that is always, always, always on the astronauts when they are outside the vehicles and doing some sort of repair work, whatever it is. Why is that tether there? Is that tether there to take away their freedom? Is that tether there to frustrate them and, and you know, so that they have no control? No, no. We know why. We know that without that tether, they literally would be in danger of floating off into space and dying within about seven hours. Their oxygen supply would run out. Now, they do have a little jet pack, and, and God willing, they might be able to navigate their way back. But it's dicey. It's not something that they want to happen. Hence, the tether. the tether gives them freedom. God's Word, God's will, God's ways... Give us freedom. Self-control is the way of freedom. Listen, you you know why Pete can play whatever he wants to play on his guitar and I can't play anything on a guitar? Because I chose as a young man not to take the time and the discipline to learn how to play an instrument. He chose to take the time to discipline himself and learn how to play an instrument. Now, he is free to play any song that he wants to on that guitar. I am not free. You you see, freedom is putting in the time, it's putting in the investment, It's, it's developing the way God wants it. And I'm just using that as an illustration. I'm not saying that we're all meant to be musicians or play instruments, but I'm just trying to show a principle. I can't run a marathon, for example, because I don't train five or six days a week like real marathoners do. They can, I can't. But it's because they are tethered to the training, the will of God. It is our training. It is what develops us. It's what makes us capable of living the way God designed us, spirit, soul, and body, all working in harmony, all working in order until we gradually show the same kind of beautiful capacity for living and loving that Jesus himself demonstrated. Self-control. There's going to be less and less in society and there's got to be more and more in the hearts and lives of we, the people of God, as these dark, perilous times increase. Let's pray. Father, we know that You are an altogether good God and You tell us why things are so that we can stand the things that we need to stand because you reveal to us the truth that we can understand them. I pray for anyone that might be discouraged, anyone that might be scared, anyone that might be just uh, you know, discouraged and in a panic because of this subject matter, that, that you'll just speak to their hearts and know that that you reveal things to us that we can do better, be stronger, and have victory. May all your people shine brightly as things get darker and darker. It's in Christ's name I ask it. Amen.